and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. And I'm your co-host, Ian. And I'm your guest, Michael. This podcast was created to provide you, our heroes, with new and reusable material for both players and DMs. We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. Our show may not be suitable for young children, but neither are our D&D games. Today's episode is brought to you by our generous Patreon donors. Patreon is a platform uh, designed to support content creators um, via offering rewards for yeah. different uh, at different levels so that we can give you access to bonus contents to kind of show our thank you for supporting us. So, um, But please check it out. We're almost to our first uh, goal, which was $150. If you don't know, um, once we hit our $150 uh, a month, that include, that pretty much everything is paid for. But in addition to that, we have a special thing we're going to be doing. Mm-hmm. We're going to be putting together uh, creature token packets that we're going to release every month that are custom right from our own very own artist, Mr. Uh, Gray over here. Um, so we're pushing to get that. I think we're like $20 away, I think. Um, and then our uh, we added a new tier at 200 where I have a writer on standby. We're going to write custom one-shot page adventures from one of the top guild writers from DM's Guild. So I'm super excited for that. But uh, those are kind of the goals we're looking to approach, and you guys make that possible. So thank you all for your patronage. With all the housekeeping kind of taken care of, I want to thank you guys for joining us today here at Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. That's right. Your role's like a game session without any prep. Well, I don't know about that. Justin's pretty good at being on his feet. Yeah, that's because I make up the entire game as we go all the time. you're good about that. Your improv skills are just... Awesome. Uh, we played a really awesome game uh, on Michael's uh, show. Uh, what is it called? Uh, Where have my fingers been? Yep. Oh my god! That <laughs> what? You have to go watch his episode. It's hilarious. All of his episodes with that are just—it's—it's it's an improv game, right? It's fantastic. Yep. <laughs> Brandon, where have your fingers been? <laughs> oh, gross. Um, it changed my we... baby's butt. <laughs> <laughs> we have a really amazing show for you guys today. We have a very special guest on uh, from the host of RPG Academy. Uh, That's me. It is Michael. Um, so we're really excited to talk to him. Uh, we're going to be talking in our main topic today, game prep and over prepping, right? Which is something I think everyone runs into. We're really excited to talk uh, about that. We have our unearthed tips and tricks segment where we bring new and reusable content for you to bring with you on your next adventure. That includes all kinds of different things. We have a character concept every episode. We have an encounter idea for every episode. We have a DM tip and a player tip, a magic item for every episode and a lot of stuff for you every single episode. (laughs) Yeah, and hey, Michael, when when you when you do your uh uh your podcast, did you ever mm-hmm. live stream? Is it? Uh, yeah, we we do a live show every Wednesday night. We're primarily audio only, but we again you know, we do one live show every week. Is that for patrons or is that for public? It's for everyone. For everyone. He's nicer than us. I'm gonna say everyone listening to our show needs to get on over there and watch him. And see that Absolutely. Sec- see that sexy at least, face. At least for this part. <laughs> Those are what we call detention episodes, or the ones where you're going to see the improv games. Yeah. Um, before we get started, we like to do one thing, and that's bribe all our listeners uh, to come and sign up for our subscriptions. Uh, this bribe comes from our wonderful sponsor, Goblin Stone. Each episode, we will draw one lucky subscriber's name, and they will win the five-star rated adventure, Banquet of the Damned. Compliments. Yes, I do do it every week. No, I still can't get it right, okay? Project for D&D fans based out of the UK. 
They aim to be a place where you can I team up cut with professionals to turn your ideas into high-quality products and give every fan a chance to get published. Are they? Be sure to head over to www.goblinstone.com or you can check out our fellowship on our website, www.critacademy.com. We talked a lot for that. Yeah. So, Michael, who's our winner this week? Oh, that's messed up. Uh, it was Jotharikin? It says John Therikin. John Therikin. John Therikin. There's an N in there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I think it's one of those English things, as in John the Lichen. <laughs> English. <laughs> it's John the Lichen. Congratulations to John the Riken. John the Riken. What did, we, did you guys decide it was? Riken. Riken? R- John the Riken. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, it's one of those things. John, uh, congratulations. If you enjoy the adventure, please head on over to Goblinstone and let them know what you think. Um, when it comes to content creators, the best thing you can do is um, leave a review and let them know what you think. That way they can improve their product. Um, that's the way we get better as content creators. We have a great episode for you, but yes. before we get to all that, we have in the realm where we talk a little bit about what's going on in our life. Michael, what's going on in your realm? Uh, well, the biggest thing I've got coming up just under two weeks, we have the Kickstarter for our Catacon convention. Oh, that's, that's cool. Uh, going live on March 14th. Uh, we This will be our sixth year running our own convention from the show, and uh, we've been using Kickstarter for the last four, so hopefully this time will work as well. Uh, so yeah, I'm really excited about that. And then, um, getting uh, geared up, we have a faculty retreat, uh, where we run a network of shows and once a year we have a faculty retreat, which is just for the people within our network. And we go up and we just rent a hotel room for a weekend and just play games all weekend. So it's like a con just for us. It's so cool. That sounds fucking awesome. If we're part of the web ring, Lord of the Web Ring, do we get to go? No. 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 So no. He's not part of our fellowship of the Weber. You really should fucking visit our website occasionally, <laughs> asshole. Like once, once. You don't understand. Once. You just don't um, get it. If you don't know, we have a web ring of uh, other podcasts and other content creators where each person puts a link to the web ring on their site to help drive traffic to those locations. Crit gotcha. Nation. Yes. Join us. Join us. One um, of us. So that's really cool. <laughs> so you kickstart it and people fund your fund your convention? Uh, well, this year we're doing it a little differently. Normally, we just sell badges through Kickstarter. It's just a way to make sure that people, enough people, are interested that it, it's you know worth the cost of renting out the, the convention center and everything. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, but sure. this year we're going to kind of do it half and half. We're going to do VIP badges through the Kickstarter. That's the only badges we're going to sell, and the rest will be sponsorships and donations. And uh, generally, based on our last couple of years, I've kind of worked out the budget. And I think we'll be able to get where we need to get and then in august we're going to start selling regular badges and gm badges through eventbrite that is so cool man i'm kind of jelly i don't even know how to barely know how to put a kickstarter together so i, I don't either James. <laughs> I, I, tell, I tell people i don't know that what i'm doing is the best thing to do i just know that it keeps working but <laughs> like, it could be much, much better if someone else did it differently oh right right um so <laughs> justin what's going on in your realm uh, you know what michael i'm glad I'm glad you asked. Um, I'm glad I asked. <laughs> God, you're such a sphincter. <laughs> Actually, I've uh, been spending a lot of time uh, 
I finally got time to play video games, and I've been playing the shit out of the new Path of Exile expand, uh, League. If you, I don't know if you play video games or not, but... Just a, a little here recently. I've been out for years, but I'm starting to get back into it. And then, I've been, the new Path of Exile uh, League is basically Pokemon in Path of Exile, which is a, like a Diablo-style game. Okay. Um, problem is, is my characters kill everything in like one shot, so I'm struggling to capture some of the monsters i'm hunting so uh i'm really i'm really enjoying it. i spent a lot of time playing it i highly recommend uh if you're a listener and you want to come hang out with me uh it's a 100 percent free game all the money you can invest is totally visual um no pay to win no content behind a paywall i highly recommend it if you like the art the rpg action rpg genre so um very cool very fun really enjoy it sam says going on in his realm he's uh been running uh, a path of uh, Prince of the Apocalypse, and they're still stuck in water deep doing side quests. So <laughs> uh, that's the way it goes with an open-ended adventure like that, sandbox style. All right, so that'll do it for In the Realm. Ian, if they want to visit other realms, how can they do that? They can go to other realms by going to Audible, where they can get a free audiobook download and a 3D free trial. And just head over to Crit Academy, click the link, and... Go get your free audiobook. Yes. If you're not, if you haven't listened, I'm a huge fan of the Stormlight Archives and I have my copy. Do you have yours? No. <laughs> well, you suck. <laughs> so, moving on to our next segment, we have our Let's Talk About Blank segment, which is all going to be all about you, Michael. Oh, so, can you uh, I'm not worthy of my own segment. You screwed <laughs> up already. <laughs> well, we'll find out. Um, yeah. you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, so uh, mostly the only thing I, I imagine people on here would care about is I am a podcaster. I've been podcasting about six years now. Uh, originally, we were called Dice Monkeys. About, <laughs> That's awesome. For about, for about two weeks before we realized there was already a very popular site called Dice Monkey. <laughs> uh, the, the gentleman who runs that was very nice, but he sent us a what the hell email. A cease and desist. Yeah, so he, he's nice about it, but he's like, I, I, apparently you didn't know. I'm like, oh, no, we didn't. Um, so then we changed it to D&D Academy. We were D&D Academy for about two years, and then we started to get, I don't say big, but we started to get some notice, started to get some followers, started to get some patrons. I thought, you know, we might get a cease and desist from Watsy on that. So then we changed it to <laughs> RPG Academy. Plus, we also talk about more than D&D anyway. Right, right. Uh, and then, yeah, we've been running the podcast for about six years. We have a crap ton of episodes we we release about 90 episodes a year at least we wow. did for some of the years we've started to slow down because i'm too old to do that anymore <laughs> i know the feeling, uh, we have our own convention i already mentioned a catacon uh we go to a lot of conventions origins gen con so if you're going to any of those i usually run games or events or can be there for this that or the other but our our motto what we're most proud of is if you're having fun you're doing it right so we absolutely want more people to play games. I don't care if you follow the rules. I don't care what rule set you use or what game, what edition. Just have fun. As long as everyone's having fun, you'll figure out the rest later. Right? That is spot on, dude. You you nailed the you nailed it. He he's right that it doesn't matter what rule set you use. If you want to play D&D, play D&D. Play Pathfinder, play Starfinder, play whatever you want because we all love this hobby and we want to see it expand to as far as we can get it. So always encourage people. We don't really get into the, obviously I've talked about that I don't like Pathfinder 3.5. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't, I have got any beef with people that do. That's everyone's got the prerogative and we're all just nerdy, nerdy ass gamers. That's, that's what makes our, us a group though. <laughs> I do find it weird that these little clicks build where, oh, you play Pathfinder. 
I don't want nothing to do with you. <laughs> yeah. I seem like that does happen. But, oh, um, you placing this nut in the D20 system? You plebe. Yeah, I done jacked up with that, because I've only ever played D&D. No mm-hmm. other tabletops. And Jason did that, uh... Uh, the commission for the spell cards. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he's playing wizard. Like, yeah, sure, I'll draw you up some spell cards. Well, what I fail to realize is that there's like four times as many spells in Pathfinder. Yes. For wizards. Ooh. And I didn't know that. Oh. <laughs> so until I looked up, I was like, okay, it. let's get these first. Oh, well, I was like, let's get these first seven level zero spells done. And there's like 29. Like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Should let him pick his spells first, then go from there. Um,. So, uh, that leads me into my next question, is what was your most memorable D&D or game RPG moment? Oh, it, uh, there are literally so many, because uh, I, I saw the notes ahead of time, you know, spoiler alert, behind the scenes, uh, I did get a preview copy of these. I, the thing that came to mind most recently, I guess, is, um, I'm sorry, I just read that. So, our faculty retreat is in Michigan. Okay. Why would so, you come to Michigan? Uh, because we get a stupid rate on the hotel and the room up there because the guys from Redemption are in Michigan. Ah, uh, okay. So we should talk offline because if you guys are close enough, you're more than welcome to come over and hang out with us. Hell yeah, man. Um, no. Which part so of the Michigan? thing that came up most recently, I was running a game, um, <laughs> and I won't. The details are boring, but essentially, I set up a scenario where I was pretty sure that I had got the players back into what I thought they should do. And I'd basically put a bounty on their head of some ridiculous amount of gold so they would have to go back into this local city and do some jobs. They were actually playing criminals. like It was like a, a, a mobster-type game. They were all low-level mobsters. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, they'll go back in the city, you know, they'll rough some people up, uh, do some protection rackets, that kind of thing, get some money, pay off this debt, and we're all good. And they had taken some other things that I had created in the world and essentially used them against me and came up <laughs> with just a solution to that problem that just made so much sense. <laughs> that I couldn't say no. I was like, yeah, you're right. This is a thing that's valuable to these people. They would rather have that than your gold. So, okay, yeah, you paid them off with this thing that I gave you that I had no idea that you would use that way. And it, it made me so happy in a way. It made me very proud in a way because I was dealing with a lot of new players. But the fact that they had taken these disparate elements I'd created in a world and used them in a way that I didn't have any concept they could or would, but it all made so sense. It was one of the first times I felt like I had really built a world that was beyond me. It had right, grown right. beyond what I had created to something more. Uh, and that was really awesome. And I yeah. remember it a lot. And I think about it a lot. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I can't, if I don't like throw a line and sinker and pull, a lot of my players don't do anything. It's just like, all right, I'll cast three lines and see which one they take. So <laughs> well, when that happens, Troy did that to me. Oh yeah. I was, I was playing the, the back in time uh, mod that I made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was awesome. They couldn't, by the way. they couldn't figure out what was going on. And, Troy's talking to the bartender and says, hey, I said, hey, could you make some change for me? He's like, yes, of course. And he puts down a gold coin and he says, here, this is from uh, my city. And he looks down at the coin. I go, uh-oh, I didn't think about this. So I look down and I go, well, this coin looks sure looks strange. I've never seen a coin like this before. He's like, really? Can I see one of your coins, please? I goes, okay. He gives it to him. He does a history check and he says, oh, this coin is 400 years old. That's weird. So that's how they figured out they were leapt through time? Yeah. That's clever. <laughs> That's very clever. Um, so very cool. So thank you for, so much for sharing with that. Before we move on to our la- my main topic, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about RPG Academy. Uh, so the reason we actually started the Academy, uh, a buddy of mine had never played D&D before. Uh, I met him at work. He like 
we didn't know each other before we started working together and it's one of those things where you you kind of start to get the feeling that this is one of your people mm-hmm. they're in your tribe but you don't know it yet so we're like sniffing around each other and we're like we like some of the same <laughs> movies we like some of the same shows uh, and eventually we got to the part that we started playing magic the gathering together which I'm still mad at him about because I'd gotten rid of that habit and he got me right back in it. And, and I kept kind of hinting that there was this other game that, you know, that was similar to Magic, had some of the same themes. And then finally one day he's like, hey, have you ever played D&D? I'm like, yes, I have. So I got him started to play. We played for a few months and he liked it, but uh, we were playing at a game store at this point. It was like Adventures League and I'm not mm-hmm. a huge fan of that. Again, I'm glad it exists, but it's just not my type of thing. And um, then he said, yeah, I'm done. I don't want to play anymore. And like six months later, out of the blue, he calls me one day. He's like, hey, I want to play D&D game, but I want to run it. I want to be the DM. But I have no idea how to do that. Will you teach me how to be a DM? And I was like, of course. I love teaching people. And he had started listening to podcasts <laughs> to try to help himself become a, a DM. And it was his idea. He's like, why don't we podcast my journey of starting to be a DM? And that was our initial shtick is that he was the newbie who came to me with question after question and I was a grizzled vet who kept giving me my advice <laughs> and then we would play his game and then we would recap and he would say when I did this what did you think or how do you think that went or I wasn't happy with this and so that was kind of the uh, you know the initial ideas that I would help him learn, become a DM and we would just kind of let other people listen into our conversations. That's so awesome. Uh, that lasted for maybe about a year or so and then he ended up leaving the podcast for some life commitments and I was obsessed. So it was his idea. He got me started on this. So this and magic. So he got me on this train and I just haven't been able to let it go. And I'm still trolling around against uh, five years after that, six years since we started. Okay. Well, it sounds like you're doing really well for yourself. I have fun with it. So as long as it's fun, I'm going to keep doing it. That's, that's, that's the point, right? That's the yep. point of any hobby. Exactly. Just like the podcast. Yeah. You know, as long as I'm having fun, I'm going to keep doing it. Right. Right. Well, that's awesome, and I'm so glad to hear that. And that, that, and the one thing that I really think makes your show stand out is you have. I mean, we've got one show. That's one show. You've got a lot. How many different different shows do you have on for oh, RPG Academy? It, it's hard to say, but I think at this point we're up to six or seven, and we're about to release a new one. Uh, which we could just release them all as the same. Like that would it really wouldn't be a problem. But we do have different types of shows. Originally, it started as we had actual play, and then we had our regular show. So we had two. And then we started breaking our actual plays into, well, sometimes we play this campaign, and other times we just goof around and do a one-shot. So we need to divide those up. Right. And then we started playing new games that none of us had played before. We're like, well, this is cool. We're going to do a one-shot of a game we've never played. That's interesting. Let's make that different. So then we have what we call the trials. We have field trips because we, we really go into this academy theme. And then we have <laughs> campaigns. And so then we started doing movie reviews. So we have movie days and then we had interviews where those are show and tells. Uh, and then now we have detention, which is the live show where we do the goofy stuff and it's a lot more <laughs> laid back and it's pretty similar to what I see you guys doing now. It's a lot mm-hmm. more audience interactive and we take questions and we just goof around and I don't know that we give any advice that's in, you know, helpful, but it seems to be fun and people seem to like it. I'll see uh, but, uh, but we have a brand new one that's getting ready to come out here in just a few weeks. Actually, we have two. I forgot. We have GM Masterclass. Oh, that's like the newest one where we took an actual play from another show with their permission. And I got the GM to come on and we listen to the show live. And then we pause it. And we talk about what just happened. So it's like a director's commentary over an actual play where the GM says, this is why I did that. And, or this is why 
I wish I hadn't done that. So it's uh, it's not like GM theory and you know in the ether theoretical. It's like right. no, right here I said this and this uh, this is why I use that word and so on and so forth. Um, but then we have our new show called Film Studies, which is where we talk about movies how they relate to RPGs. So there's not like a movie review kind of being funny. Right, this right. is like let's take this movie and how can we learn from it? What can we take from it to make our games more interesting? So I think we're at seven at this point. Jesus. I don't well, I, I applaud that because I barely have enough time to put one together. So <laughs> one of our patrons here says, uh, you've gone to town with the whole uh, academy thing. Pretty soon you're going to be able to open your uh, open a real like, school. <laughs> yeah, maybe that, that maybe that's the next evolution is we actually open a GM academy. But uh, yeah, I, I don't I think I come. could handle any more at this point. Yeah. Um, uh, Samuel says this, and I really agree with him. He says, uh, it's really cool that you're breaking down like DM decisions as they're made. I've never thought of anything like that. And I, I, I almost wish I would do that on myself as I, I would play a game and then go back and listen to it. Because I've only done that once where I've streamed my gameplay, and that's one of our, our episodes. And when I was editing, I was like, why did I do that? I could have did this instead. This would have been so much better. Why? What, yep. the, what was going through your mind, dummy? <laughs> you know, a lot of that... Um, stuff so uh i'm gonna definitely uh take a uh, take a look at that that master class thing i'm going well, and I'm, I'm sorry I've, I've you know i get people who ask me for advice that's part of doing this as long as i have and one of the number one things i tell people is record your sessions even if you have no intention of ever podcasting them probably one of the biggest things that has made me a better gm is that i listen to myself dm all the time i'm constantly listening to myself and i i do the same thing i'm like Wow, why did I say that? Or I, you know, I'm I'm using this phrase a lot when I'm giving descriptions. I'm not really being descriptive. Um, you know, when have I lost my players because I have to repeat myself twice? And when are the players on the edge of the seat because I can tell that they're just you know they've bought into what I'm saying. So right. just listening to yourself run a game is crazy good experience and something you should absolutely do if you want to be a better DM. And then if you decide to do a podcast, you got the audio. And you know what? I think that. Uh that's actually one of our, our, our high-level goals for our patron page is that if we get certain much, I want to set, get enough recording equipment to record an ongoing session and then go back and add sound and music and sound effects and all that, the whole God's yeah. Fall thing because they yeah. do it phenomenally. It, God's awesome. Fall is almost in its own you know category, yeah. <laughs> but I would highly recommend check out Redemption. They, they Redemption. are part of our network, but I think Kindle, who does the editing, is as good as any editor I've ever heard. They uh, Especially the newer episodes, they put in sound effects and all that kind of stuff. It's, it is amazing what he's able to do. It does enhance the game. Like, it's not distracting, but mm -hmm. I just think he's brilliant at it. I think it's one of the best examples I've ever heard. Well, you'll have to put me in contact with him when I start editing my stuff. Hey, give me a few tips here because yeah. I'm spending Those are the guys hours. that are in Michigan. Oh, okay. That's awesome. Sam says, uh, yeah, I prefer not to second-guess decisions in gameplay. Mm -hmm. Learn from things, sure, but... Don't regret not having some inspiration uh, too much. Otherwise, in my opinion, there is a risk of writer's block or confusion. That's interesting. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have really thought of that, um, but I can totally see where he's coming from. I think that's where prep really makes a difference, too, and we're actually going to get into that. So is there anything else you wanted to touch on for RPG Academy before we move on to our main topic? No, I just I hope somebody, that if they're not already familiar with our show, will, will take a look or a listen. Uh, you can, you know, websites, the rpgacademy.com. It is the RPG Academy because some Yahoo owns RPG Academy. And I'm not going to pay for it. Uh, <laughs> so we're the RPG Academy uh, on all the common apps, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, right. iTunes, that kind of thing. Uh, listen to our apps. Mm -hmm. And if you have, you know, any questions for us, we'd be happy to help address them. Wonderful. 
Now we're going to transition into our main topic, game prep and over prep. I'm very passionate about prep. I have, I kind of have my way of doing it, which I recommend, but I don't want to dominate <laughs> the entire conversation. So I'll just try to inter- interject as we go. Sure. Well, the goal is to have you dominate the conversation because it makes my job easier. Um, oh, you are in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, the first thing I, I, I always, at least in my opinion, when I start uh, my prepping, I always do an outline. Um, that to me is the most important uh, aspect of prep in my opinion. And I'm not talking, you don't need an entire book. You don't need five pages of prep. You just need an outline with some bullet points and some where they're going to start, wh- what the overarching story is, who the villains are, what are some hooks you're going to use. You don't need, in my opinion, you don't need to go into a, a lot of detail with that. And honestly, I've ran an entire uh, campaign with like six bullet points. <laughs> So what, what do you uh, think about that, uh, Michael? For me, when I start to prep a new game, I'll spend like maybe 20 hours easy thinking through the campaign, like what I want to have happen. And this is like driving in the car time. It's not like me sitting at a desk for 12 oh, hours. Okay. Time. You know, I'll spend a couple Damn, weeks dedication. <laughs> yeah, driving to and from work and just thinking about it, asking questions to the players. And I, I get a really good sense of what I want this campaign to be about. Uh, what sort of themes we're going to explore that, you know, what's it going to feel? What's the tone going to be like? I do all of that before we ever do anything. And I have factions. I know, I know where the game's going to start. I know who the major NPCs in the first area are. I know who the big players are. But once we actually start playing, I do very little prep. I'm very improv heavy once the game gets started. So I get them, like, again, I get them started. I know where the, where they're starting, who the NPCs are, what the, what the first kind of hooks are going to be. And then I just react to whatever they do. So if they go completely sideways from what I thought, I'll just try my best to make it make sense. I'll be ready by the next time we play. Right. We play generally about every other week, three to four hours. I spend maybe 20 minutes of prep before each game after I've done that 20 hours of prep before we ever start. Wow. That's, That's- way more thought than I put into it. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I, I like, and, and I've, I've done this with Ryan in, in my adventures, you know, when I sit down and he's like, well, what do you want to do? Oh, I'll roll some dice. Okay. The villain's going to be a wizard. Well, okay. What's a, what separates a wizard? Well, he can use powerful magic. Well, what is he doing when he's not blowing shit up? Does he blow shit up? Does he blow shit up? I don't know. Um, oh, well, how about maybe he's experimenting on something and what if some of those chemicals leak into a river and how does that affect the town? And so now I've got a wizard. I got a, chemicals uh, testing leaking into a river and how does it affect the people in the town that's all i needed to get started and i didn't think much beyond that until i started running the game so i'm very light when it comes to, to heavy prep there's there's a big decision you have to make when you run a D game if you're going to do published content or if you're going to do homebrew content mm-hmm. yep um if you're going to do published content, um, the best prep I can say is read it ahead of time if you can. That makes a, a, a huge difference when you know where everything's going to go before you actually get started. Uh, keep in mind the length that you're planning on running. Um, if you're going to be running uh, a session for three hours, you might not need to read the entire campaign manu- manual or, or, or adventure all at once. Maybe a chapter or two, right? Yeah. For homebrew... <laughs> Uh, I take notes. We I just briefly touched on that. So um, knowing what your objectives are, me, I do three to six bullet points, and I know my objectives. That, to me, I'm lazy. I'm a lazy DM. I'm going to be honest. I make it all up. It's all made up. So so the way that I, I would handle this, because um, for me, there is no difference in how you prep for a homebrew game versus how you prep for a module game. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way the Michael method, as I call it, because I'm an old dude, is <laughs> I use note cards. 
you know, <laughs> I'm sure there's electronic versions that do this so much better, but I use <laughs> note cards. I have color coded note cards. One color is for all the PCs. So I'll write down some information about the PCs. I don't care about their stats. I don't care about their class. I just want their background, things that are interesting about them, what they want, goals, that kind of thing. Uh, then I have a different color that's for my NPCs. So something, something about them that's interesting, like a, a phrase they say, you know, one of them has a droopy eye or big ears or, you know, acne, something, some sort of physical description or descriptor that when I give that information, they'll hook onto it because they'll never remember Fleoria the elf, but they'd be like that elf chick with the two earrings in her cheek. Yeah, I remember. Right, right. Um, so that guy looks like the and then I have a shovel. third one for locations, like, you know, the temple, the ruins, the graveyard, whatever. And then I cross-reference them. So if I have a PC that has an NPC contact at the temple, there'll be a chain between those three cards that has the PC connects to the NPC. What does the NPC know? How are they important to the plot? Do they know who really killed the magistrate's daughter or were they the one who killed the magistrate's daughter or whatever? Um, and then the locations will have what they can find there, what, what might happen, like a battle between zombies or accused of something by the guards. And I make those cards as I go. So like if we're playing and somebody makes up an NPC I've never heard of, I'll make a card for that NPC and we'll just keep it. adding to it. <laughs> so if I'm prepping for a module, I'm just going to read the module and make cards. So I don't need the book once the game starts. All I need are those cards. Right, but and you do you do blank read, ones beside me and I'm good to go. You do read ahead of time though, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Storm King Thunder is a bit different because it's so freaking huge. Yes. I mean, maybe but, in that case. But but the reason I would do that is that you don't want to, you know, because I improv like crazy. Mm -hmm. If I improv something the first 15 minutes of a game that's like, oh, that totally contradicts how this game ends that would be bad because then right. I'm going to have to figure out how to make it work as I go. Mm -hmm. So I kind of at least want to make sure I know who the main players are, what the big plot points are, and I have right. those in my note cards. Kind of keep that uh, at your forefront of your mind. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, That's a neat idea. I like that. Uh, you mentioned note cards. Do you ever use the uh, the Note uh, one Microsoft OneNote? No, because I'm old. I know there's an easier way to do that. I just like my color-coded note cards. Well, for uh, for the listeners that want to do that and want to step it up a little bit, um, <laughs> uh, the note card, the OneNote actually lets you create the little notes, and then you can hyperlink them to each other. So you don't necessarily have to, to, to filter through them, and that's what I, I've done on numerous occasions where mm -hmm. it's, oh, okay, they're going to run into King Joffrey here, and then it's highlighted. I can click it, and it gives me the, the, the information and background that I got on King Joffrey and what secret he holds and, and <laughs> what mission he's got kind of going under the table. The fucking Joffrey. <laughs> Love coming to America. <laughs> no, I'm thinking like of Game, Game of Thrones. Thrones. Oh, I haven't seen I'm glad that little bitch died the way he did. Uh, anyway, so apparently, uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, old news. Um, that was only three seasons ago. God. <laughs> <laughs> um, when it comes to uh, uh, prepping, one of the hardest things to do, at least in my opinion, is to be able to predict what the, the players are going to do. Um, I've found that if I can, at the end of every session, have an idea of where they're already going, like if I've got several hooks out in front of them and I know at the end this is where they've decided they're going to go, that can make the next session's focus much more uh, narrow and <laughs> less prep for me because mm -hmm. they've already said they're going to take this hook and go help this person, so I don't have to worry about B, C, and D as much. I might still do a little something because they might change their mind. But for the most part, if you can convince the players to tell you at the end of the, the, the near the end of the, the session, what their next plans are, I think that can really help lower your, your prep level as well. It Unless can, but it can also screw yeah. you heavily because that yes. happened to me. 
where at the end of the session, they're like, okay, we are all agreed. We're going to go into the temple and look for the missing kid. Five minutes into the first game, we've decided not to do that. We're actually going to go over <laughs> yeah. here. I, I literally was sitting there. I was like, you sons of bitches. <laughs> like, like, they I called behind your back. It's like, are you guys sure you wanted, we want to do this? Yeah. yeah. It's like, you turn Let's around, there's the fire. Way. There's fire everywhere. Everything but the temple's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> we you can't uh, do that. Yes, I can. There's a la- there's a long uh, <laughs> long running shtick uh, on the show where I had this one encounter where they were all going through a forest and I had this big pillowy billowy thing of smoke and they were all gonna go that way and they're like we're gonna go that way I'm like there, but there's a billow of smoke we're we're gonna go that way well I'm gonna need like ten minutes to prepare something because there ain't shit that way right now so just yep. give me a second <laughs> but that village is on fire fuck that village <laughs> um and and honest that leads to and I've, I've said it before if you aren't sure of what to do next just take a 10 minute break and get your thoughts together that can make all the difference in how a story progresses forward with some sort of co- uh, cohesive uh, connection to the rest of the plot although I, I do I think you posted this on our uh, Facebook page but I saw it pop up a few times where it's just like a DM just reading through like the, gener- the generic adventure and it said generic owlbear encounter right here but as he's about to begin combat he, he says like he, he hear a noise the players were like wait isn't this nearby where we killed that one dragon you, you, a couple years back and he basically you'd be back for revenge? Oh man, I bet you it's him again. <laughs> and he was like, okay. <laughs> you you touch on an interesting note there. Okay, There's sometimes the, the, uh, players. the players come up with better ideas than I do. Oh, and it's just like, oh, fuck yeah, I'm writing that down. <laughs> what? Oh, this guy's connected to this guy's backstory? Mm, yep, he is now. And uh, <laughs> the guy's the DM is screwing us. And he's like, no, you screwed yourselves. <laughs> yeah, that's where some of my best ideas have come from, is from little comments <laughs> and subtle jabs that they've said, that's got to be coming from <laughs> this. <laughs> you guys hear a sound on the bush, and one of the players goes, God, I hope it's not an ogre. And your head's like, well, it was a rabbit, but now it's an ogre. <laughs> now it's an ogre. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, you mentioned... Uh, uh, prepping your NPCs. The next thing that I think is important to prep is monsters. Um, I don't like personally to flip through my monster manual during encounters. I hate it. Yeah. I think it's terrible. And because of that, I always try to print them off before D and D Beyond and Roll Twenty's access to a lot of the SRD stuff. I used to write every note cards out with monster stat blocks on them. And yep. And that was, I just had little cards, and I could even do for initiative, I could track them, and, and I cannot tell you how useful something like that is if you have it in advance ready to go. Or spells. Or spells, De- too. Definitely spells. Yeah. What do you, uh, how do you handle that? Do you just have a bunch of note cards as well for your monsters? Yeah, very similarly, I do use note cards, but the thing I'll say, my games are very combat light. Like, the majority of the time you're going to fight anybody, it's going to be a person. Because uh, there's a lot more like political intrigue mm-hmm. and you know that type of stuff in my game. You're you're not going to be fighting beholders a whole lot. So if I know you're going to fight a beholder, then yes, I'm going to take time to read the monster manual. I'm going to get some note cards and put together. Uh, but I don't prep a lot of encounters because I don't want to assume they're going to fight things. Okay. I I prep situations where they're going to meet things and then they figure out how to you know interact with them. Wow. It may be at the tip of a sword. It may be tip of a pen. It may be running away. And all that's fine because I haven't planned. I haven't put any thought and effort into, okay, I know they're going to fight here, so what do I need? I have no idea if they're going to fight there. I don't prep that way. What is it like to have players that don't fight everything? Uh, it's kind of great for me. Yeah. Like, I'm that guy that we can go three to four hours and like never roll a die. Mm-hmm. If, if that happens to me, that's a great session. I know not sure. everyone is okay yeah, with no, that. Some I people agree. consider that D&D. But for me, that's what I live for. That's awesome. I don't know if you're a combat-oriented guy without question, but there's definitely something to be said about diplomacy. Yeah, no. Oh, um, yeah. Well, and, and, well, the other thing that I'll do, again, just like uh, Made Men example, that was the 
the King of Pain that I ran with, they were mobsters. Mm-hmm. Anytime they fought a person, and this was fifth edition, it wasn't fourth edition. Anytime they fought a person, they were minions. They hit them once and they died. I don't care mm-hmm. if they did two hit points or 57. You hit a person, they died. And then later when they started in, interacting with monsters, it was very different because now these aren't just people. Um, you know, so even if they fought like a third level guard, they hit them once, that guard's dead. But they go out into the wastelands and they're fighting sand demons who are like, you know, tremor type beasts. Those <laughs> things have like 150 hit points. I love tremors. tremors. I, want them, I want them to feel different when they're out there. It's a, it makes it feel alien and mm-hmm. special compared to, hey, I'm a mobster. I'm just going to, you know, this guy didn't pay us rent this week, so I'm going to knock him out and take his stuff. <laughs> and yes, I actually watched Tremors last night. Oh, man, that's that's such a good movie. Who named him Graboids? Wasn't it the Aspen? Was it the last Walter Chain. He named them. Then they graboids. Yeah, graboids. Now, for prepping, there's something I like to do, and I don't know if any other DMs do this. I don't know if it's something that I just made up. I like to do uh, roll in advance and just pull a list from it. That way, I don't got to. I don't like to slow the game down by doing you know 20 rolls all the time. Now, the, for I some people, because you taught me that. There's some for some people that's their favorite part of the whole D and D thing. Um, what I'll do is before the game starts, I'll roll like 10, maybe 15 d20s, and I'll just put them right down a list, and I just go right down that list. Sometimes it's a crit and a conversation. Sometimes it's a crit on an attack. Sometimes it's a one on a uh, arcana check. Whatever fits the bill, and that saves. I know it sounds stupid, but that saves me a lot of lot of time during the game. Question about that though: What do you do if you're players say you're not rolling or you're cheating or you're just making up a number. Deal with it. Well, I can just hold up my sheet. <laughs> uh, no. okay. It's never been a problem, so I guess nobody's ever asked. But that's something <laughs> I do because, honestly, I got so many things going on, I try to minimize every little thing that I do. And rolling in advance, especially for like initiative, um, is important for me because it saves me time. I don't know how you feel about that, Michael. I'm sure that's... I don't think I've met anybody else that does that, so... Yeah, again, it's one of the things where I don't think it would work for me. I'm not saying that like people shouldn't do it. I just don't think for my type of, you know, demon style, it would fit. Cause sure. for me, one of my favorite things is that moment. Cause I, I have a dice tower. It's a stupid one I built out of PVC pipe. It costs like $3. So I, I don't spend a lot of money on dice. Towers. But I love to drop that die down there. And when it comes up, I see it. There's a, there's like a two second pause between when I see the number and I look back up at the players and I say, okay. Here's what happened. And that two seconds is when I figure out how I'm going to describe it or how this changes the game or what it means. And I love, I live for that two second thing. I love it all the time. Like so I, rush? I wouldn't want that to go away from my games. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm just boring. <laughs> no, probably not. It's probably, um, just, you know, and it's the same people- with the, the monster attacks. 99% of the time I take the stupid little, the average thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, unless I crit, I don't, that, I feel like I should, in my opinion, I, I should be spending my time focusing on other things, but I totally see where you're coming from, and I do understand that some people live for that thrill of the dice rolling. Um, I just roll it out, oh, I got a one, I wonder what's going to happen with that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, but also, there's not a lot of dice rolling in my game, so that could be different as well. Like, that, I would only need like three per session, so it's really not speeding things up. <laughs> um, Sam actually says he does uh, he does it for monsters, which was actually how I started doing it, was uh, I would roll initiative, and I would just apply the I'd apply those numbers to initiatives as I picked monsters. That spe- sped up combat so much, and also, uh, you, uh, for those of you that uh, haven't listened to a previous episode, um, I like to have all my players roll initiative at the beginning of a session. And then I po- post them up on my uh, DM screen, and I use that for uh, 
pushing conversation, like um, determining who I'm going to ask questions. If somebody's not really guiding, anyone's not really taking the lead, I can say, hey, what are you going to do? Hey, what are you going to do? Hey, what, you know, sort of like that. Or it makes for good transition into combat where you guys uh, bust into the door and you see the, the giant uh, Goliath choking the woman. Brandon, what are you going to do? He's top at the initiative. Or if somebody jumps up and says, I'm going to do this, I might let them go before I trigger the initiative just because it flows better based on... So I use a lot of the pre-rolling stuff just because I'm lazy and that's how it started. But I do find it speeds some stuff up. But I never considured what I might be missing by rolling the die. Goliath. I mean, if it works for you, though, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. One thing uh, that I actually like to do, and I actually didn't put it on here, is I like to build uh, encounter ideas. So I have, you know, four encounters that I think might happen. Uh, they got a hook that says they're going to be looking for this person. Okay, I'll build an encounter for that. And I just have these encounters, especially for, like, dungeons and stuff. I don't draw out super complex dungeons anymore. Instead, I say, okay, I want at least these five things to be in this dungeon. I don't care where. I let their dice determine. If they do, you know, an invest stealth check to sneak around stuff, okay, that, that counters out the door. They're going to go a different way and find a path or whatever. And I just kind of freeform it as as they they go yeah. through it because I used to spend hours drawing out these maps. Yeah. Hours. And then they wouldn't, they fucking take the straight path. And it's just like, there wasn't even a straight path and they found it. You know, no. so because of that, I decided... <laughs> I decided that I would just focus on encounters that need to happen in the dungeon or I think that will happen. Here's how they can bypass it. Here's uh, ways I guarantee they'll happen. Like, okay, this encounter will only happen if they fail their survival check walking through the forest. You give me a survival check as you're trucking through the forest. Oh, you got a 20. You're able to safely guide and avoid the tracks of the big baddie monsters and you make it safely. Oh, you failed the, na- the nature track or the survival check. Um, well, uh, as you guys are, as you're tracking and following these tracks and trying to avoid them, uh, you miss a sign of this. You hear a big bellowy roar and now you're fighting a giant T-Rex, you know? And that's kind of how I've always done it because I got so tired. When I played, I played a lot of fourth edition and I love fourth edition. And, uh, there's a lot of that where you got to draw all the maps out in every square and every room and every, and I found I was wasting so much time on that, I felt like my stories were suffering from it. Yeah, you became very improv-heavy. I don't know how yeah, you feel I, about that. I'm also very improv-heavy, uh, obviously. So, you know, I just use my cards. I have an idea. You know, I kind of have an idea of what's going on because I, I spent all that time before we ever played. The, you know, those 20 hours of thinking about the world and the overall story and stuff. So if I know they're going to go to a temple and in my head I know there's, you know, there's undead in the temple, whatever, mm-hmm. I don't really plan for them to fight anything, but I just, I know there's undead there. Right. So, so depending on what they do, if they just burst in, then there'll probably be some zombies in the first room that fight them. If they sneak in, there probably won't be zombies in the first room because I want to make it more moody. Like you see signs of this, you see decapitated heads or, you know, half eaten bodies or whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. So I know at some point they're going to run into zombies in that. The tomb, but it's really going to be based on how they approach the situation. Uh, what I think is dramatically appropriate, and you know, and sometimes I probably do a really good job. My players love it, and sometimes I don't do a great job, and it seems anticlimactic. But that's just what works for me. And I think that's what makes every DM different too, is those little subtle differences. Uh, Sam says, uh, "Do you do uh, different initiatives for combat than session uh, initiative?" Um, Sam, so what I do is I start the session with initiative. And then at the end of a combat or uh, uh, some sort of encounter where that became important, I have everyone roll initiative again. So instead of doing it at the beginning of combat and having that big wait period, the first combat is always already done. And then as I'm wrapping up, cleaning up the monsters, I have everyone roll again. Like if I know, 
there's one monster left, I might have everyone else go ahead and roll initiative while we're finishing off the monster so that I can reorganize all the tickets and, and be on our way. That just is a smoother transition for me. So He says his players are murder hobos. <laughs> you think it would mutiny that game style. <laughs> That's funny. Um, do you have any other uh, pro tips, uh, Michael? Because you obviously have so much knowledge, and I want to tap into that font. <laughs> Well, again, it's, it's experience. That doesn't mean it's good experience. But uh, I was just going. I was writing something to Samuel, but I can't talk very fast. I'll just say it that I, I don't think there are bad playstyles. I think I every playstyle can be valid, but I think there are incompatible playstyles. Yes. Yeah. So you know, if you're somebody who really enjoys combat, you will hate my game. You will not enjoy my <laughs> game. So don't play in my game. Uh, I know enough about myself as a DM that I'm not going to try to change that because then I'm not going to do a very good job. So I, I'm a big believer in session zero. So if we come to session zero and I talk about how the, I want to run this game, that's how I want it to feel, and that's not what you want to do, then we're probably not going to play in that game together. Right. If you really want a combat-heavy game, I'll let someone else run and I'll play because I'm fine with playing combat. I mean, I right. don't really like it as much as other stuff, but I'll do it. But I just think that that's the way it works. And if you have a group that doesn't want to go a whole session without rolling a single die, then don't. Then that's bad. You're doing it wrong because they're not having fun. Right, right. But if you have a group of people that enjoy that, then you're doing it right. Because that's you know the whole motto thing. Um, but I'm a, I'm a big believer in improv. I've already talked about that. I, I try not to. I don't plan for encounters. I plan or I don't plan. I prep. I don't set up situations or challenges. I set up situations. I can't talk tonight. So like I said, Story I don't have a situation life, where I know at you know in the middle of the night seven wolves are going to attack me. I know that in the middle of the night there's going to be wolves around, and based on what they do. Maybe the wolves will come close enough. Maybe they won't. I really kind of feed off of what the players are doing because mm-hmm. the, the players will tell you what they want to do because it's what they are doing when you're not interrupting them. If they, you know, they want to track down every lead and they really want to investigate NPCs and they're like, I'm pretty sure I know the murderer has to be one of the upper, you know, the, the nobles because of this, this, and this. And no, they weren't. Well, they are now. And I'm going to let them interview as many NPCs as they want. I'm going to try to build a mystery around that because that's what they want to do. If they just want to go kick down a temple door and, you know, beat up some priests, then, okay, you want to <laughs> some priests in there. Maybe they're, maybe it's a false god and they're all, you know, mind controlled by an abolith or something. But the players will tell you what they want to do. Let them do it and then just try to, you know, steer the game a little bit around them so that it kind of makes some sort of sense when they get to the end and then go, oh, okay, I know why that happened now. I didn't know what happened then, but now I know what happened because I had time to make it work backwards. Yep. I'm suddenly reminded of uh, when I was younger, my uncle moving. Uh, we used to play croquet, and I could never hit the hit the little poles, so he would move move the croquet like pin uh, so that I could hit it. And that's kind of gotcha. what I'm, I'm kind of reminded of when you talk about you know you're you're trying to take what they're telling you and turn it into a story, whether that's part of what you originally had or not, that makes you an incredibly flexible DM, uh, which I think is really, really cool. And as long as everyone, you're right, as long as everyone's having fun, that's all that matters. But um, kind of to touch on the, the some game formats and players don't match, that is absolutely true. You should never, you should never feel like you have to um, suffer through a game of D&D or Pathfinder or whatever it is. Um, if your DM is not 
doing it the way you like doesn't mean they're a bad DM, just means your formats don't fit and you might need to go find another game. That's why Session Zero is so important. I think Sam was talking about that in chat. You know, yeah. it's super, super important because that's when you determine what you all expect. <laughs> that's that's 100%. badass. I think we did that when you joined me, didn't we? Didn't at some point that come up and we had to take a drink? Yes. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, yep. yeah. Session Zero. Oi! Nectar ne- yep. of the Gods. Pre- Water. <laughs> <laughs> because we say it so much, like ninety percent of our like why sh- or why did this happen or how do we fix that? I'm like, well, it should have happened in session zero because you should have had that conversation. So right, right. we say that so often, it's become the joke that whenever we say it, I have a drink. drink. That's funny. <laughs> uh, and then I would just kind of um, I would piggyback on that as someone who now goes to conventions because I didn't used to. I never went to any gaming convention until the podcast because mm-hmm. uh, I thought it would be good for the show, and then it turned out I loved them. Uh, so now I'll run my own. But I was in a couple games early on that I hated like i was miserable the entire time and then after the fact i was talking to someone about it and they're like why didn't you leave and it never even occurred to me that i could leave like it, it wasn't even something in my head that like because it's not just that it's like rude because it would be you want to handle it you know tactfully but if i'm not having fun i'm probably making everyone else have less fun right i right. know i'm not having fun i'm not engaged i'm not helping i'm just kind of like there they would probably have a much better game if i left so it's okay to be like oh I, this is not the game I thought. My apologies. You know, gents, ladies, have a great time. I'm going to go hit the dealer hall for the next two hours. It is absolutely <laughs> cool to do that. Yep. Yeah, there was, uh, I went to Gen Con two years ago, and I got to a table, and I did not like the DM style. And I toughed it out. I mean, it was only like a couple hours, so I'm like, whatever. Um, then the next day, I went back. And I went to the, there was the Adventure League thing, and I got, there's literally like a hundred DMs in here running games, and I got stuck with the same motherfucker. And I'm like, I turned around, I literally just turned around from the table and walked away. He's like, what's going on? I was like, I don't really mesh with your DM style. He's like, oh, what don't you like? I just don't like your style, and there's nothing against you. We have different yeah. tastes, and I'm, I, I was like, how in the hell can I wait in line for two hours and get stuck with the same motherfucker? <laughs> In a room of like a hundred DM, oh, I was, I was, I was pissed at the situation, not at him, but at the situation. No, I completely um. understand, and that's something. <laughs> like when I run games now at conventions, I'm very clear in the description. I put a lot of, I'm a role play heavy GM. We may not roll any dice. There might not be any combat, so that people know what they're getting they into. I don't expect. want anyone to have that situation, so they're going to read that and go, oh, that's not the game for me. Great, right. go get in a game that you're going to love because I want you to have the best time ever at the convention. But you're going to know what you're in for when you play my games at the con because I tell you all that stuff ahead of time. So do you get like booths while you're there? Do you have a special booth or you just have like a table you set up? Come play, come to me, my minions, play D&D with yeah. me. <laughs> we we don't booths. table at any of them because frankly it's too expensive <laughs> and we don't have enough presents to make that worthwhile. But we, we just run events like most conventions. You can submit your own stuff. So mm-hmm. I usually run a couple panels on podcasting or DMing. Uh, I run a couple games, usually 5e, and then I have a, a Scooby-Doo Dread game that has become quite popular. It, it sells out instantly, so I usually run that once at every convention. Do you have that recorded anywhere where I can watch it? Okay, here's the thing. Not yet? I wanted to do a test recording because I had the idea, I had the concept. as like, I think this will be fun, but I've never run Dread before. So I got a bunch of our network people together, and we did a test of it. And I swear to God, it's my biggest regret in life that we didn't record that because it would have been the, maybe the best thing we ever produced. And it grabs me crazy that we have never done that. Uh, unfortunately, no, there are no audio recordings of it currently. Uh, but, but the idea is it's basically Scooby-Doo meets Clue, the movie. Uh-huh. Uh, Scooby died 20 years ago. And all of the Fred, Velma, Daphne, Shaggy get, get a note that says, I know who killed Scooby. Meet here. 
and they show up this old abandoned mansion and <laughs> stuff happens. That old sounds awesome. Jenkins. Yeah. So you, uh, you said it wasn't the catch of a Scooby Snacks. You said Scooby Doo Dread. Is that like the the Dread game with like the Jenga? Yeah. So Dread uses the Jenga tower. I, I play a Scooby Doo. It's a homebrew set uh, system with it because in my game the tower only falls once. Once the tower falls, the game. I mean, it doesn't mean it ends instantly, but that means you're at the end and you're going right, to wrap right. things up. Uh, but yeah, so it it works great for that scenario. I'll probably run it half a dozen dozen times, and it's. It's a just it's such a great time. If you love Scooby Doo, if you don't love Scooby Doo, you probably wouldn't get it. But <laughs> we, if you love Scooby Doo, it's awesome. We needed to run a game of Dread because I read through the rules. It's been like six months now, and I've been wanting to play ever since. Right. What, exa- um, what exactly is Dread? Uh, it's a storytelling game using the Jenga, Jenga towers, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, yep. So basically, <laughs> um, well, if you're going to run it like per the book, you're going to have a scenario, and you're going to give your players a questionnaire, so they're going to. You know, say it'll say something like, "What's your biggest fear? Who else on this group or team have you wronged? Who are you secretly in love with?" Blah 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 blah. And it's going to give a bunch of information. The DM will take that, read through them, make some notes so they know what will affect your character. And mind, you're playing Scooby Doo, so you're Fred. I know what Fred is. I don't have to do that. <laughs> um, but there's no real character sheet, and you're like, "Hey, I want to try to you know jump over this car." Okay, pull three bricks. You pull three bricks. You jumped over the car. And if you tower falls, then apparently you got run over by the car. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the very quick version of Dread. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the skill to running that game well is all about pacing, knowing when to right, pull, right. how many pulls. Um, I've, the only, I've went ran Dread one time where it did not go well, and there was somebody who was tragically bad at Jenga. And like <laughs> the third pull, he did this weird backward eagle claw move, and I have no idea why. And he effed the tower up so bad, it was it was just. There was no saving it, so it it collapsed in like thirty five minutes into the game that should have wow. been. Oh long. no! Jeez. Yeah. So that's the one thing you need to ask people before you start. Is anybody here really good at Jenga? And a couple people are like, yeah, you know, blah blah blah. Is anybody really really bad at Jenga? You need to know that before you start playing. <laughs> <laughs> um, which remind, maybe that's something we can do. Maybe stream for our our, yeah. our patrons or just stream on for whatever and, and us playing because I think that would be fun. One thing I love about Jenga is that it, as you get you pull those parts out, your butthole starts to clench when you're pushing that <laughs> shit out. Yes. <laughs> that didn't come out exactly the way I envisioned it. But I knew no. it yeah, but yeah that's that's why Dread works so well is because the tower creates a physical um you Tension. know emotion in the mm-hmm. in the players of of dread pun of, of you know, <laughs> concern that you can't often get in a game when you're just talking about your you know if you're my character's walking down a tunnel like oh it's a vampire no the player's not scared by that uh but when they see the towers getting wobbly and they know that in the story they're getting close to coming to the vampire mm-hmm. they're gonna start being worried about it because they know they don't have any pulls left or they get in a situation where they don't want to pull so yeah <laughs> dread is an amazing game uh sam mentioned a, a thing about you can't play dread online i have found a way to do it Oh, yeah? Everyone has their own tower. Anytime anyone pulls, everyone pulls, but the people who aren't the active player can cheat. Like, they can hold the tower and pull it with both hands, and they just make it look good. But everyone always pulls the same number of bricks, and then when they're active player, they play it normally. So it absolutely will work that way. That's awesome. See, I, th- I feel like that guy would turn on my bill belly to knock it all over. Sorry, guys. <laughs> game's over. See you tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so, so another another quick tip for dread move the dread the jenga tower to the edge of the table i swear i had a moment it didn't happen i wish it would have because it'd been a better story but there was a short lady that was playing and she's probably like 1920 uh she was there with like her boyfriend he almost picked her up 
to let her pull because she couldn't reach the tower very well. So, I mean, that was like they were having a conversation about how they're going to fix this. And I was like, okay, so yeah, so now I always move the dread tower to the very edge of the table. Oh, and no one says, don't table. drop me. You, you can't uh, sit at the table. You have yeah. to sit in a semicircle away from the table and you sit so that the tower's over your shoulder. So you're talking to everyone and they are always seeing the tower. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll have to try that. Dread 101 for you there, gentlemen. Yeah, we're, uh, we're going to have to do this. I think it'll be a lot of fun. I think <laughs> yeah. I can get my wife involved. She hates D&D, but I think she might. She loves Jenga. Um, so we're actually, uh, kind of before we move on to the last thing, because we keep tangenting, because that's what we do. That's why I edit out like 45 minutes of the show every week. At least. Um, <laughs> um, we're actually going to be running a panel uh, at an uh, anime convention coming up uh, in oh, cool. the end of the month. And uh, I went, you ever uh, read those Choose Your Own Adventure books? Oh yeah, I loved those as a kid. We're yeah. gonna we're gonna be doing uh, something like that for our D and D panel, and uh, I'll have the players, and they'll be sitting at a table, and they're basically when a choice is presented to them, they'll each come up with their own conclusion, and then like uh, Deadpool, they'll turn and ask the audience what they think, so the audience will have an impact on the story. So I'm really excited. I hope this will go well. Honestly, I've never done anything, so I don't know if it will, but uh, I definitely wish I would have thought of the Dread thing first, because I feel like that yeah. would have been a lot better. <laughs> definitely have to bring but you can only get four to six people on Dread. You could have a hundred people in the audience, so, you know, that's, yeah. a, that's cool, too. Yeah. Say, people are starting to to like that post. Yeah, I saw that. Some of you are like, oh, I gotta be there. I want to see this. Yeah. Don't so, know who that person is. Me neither. <laughs> so what kind of uh, steps do you take to prevent over-prepping? Well, for me, it's just I do what I do because, I, like, I, I personally don't think railroading is nearly as bad as people think it is. But I also think people definitely misunderstand what railroading actually is. Right. Yeah. But I think over prepping is what causes railroading. Yes. If I spent twelve hours coming up with this cool dungeon, you're going in the dungeon. I, you know, I joked <laughs> earlier. Everything else is on fire. You have to go in the dungeon because if you don't go in the dungeon, I have nothing prepared. I have no idea of what to do. So you kind of chain yourself to that prep, and then if they go off another way, it's hard to recover until you've got a lot more experience and you get mm-hmm. you know comfortable with winging it. So I don't, like, I have literally no plan on what's going to happen other than the first thing that happens. So the very first scene of the first game, I've got that mapped out. I pretty much know who all's there, what they're going to say, what's going on, how the game's going to get started. Twenty minutes into that game, I have no idea where it's going to go, and I'm okay with that. At the, like you said, at the end of the game, I kind of have an idea of where things are going to happen. Right. I'll spend 20 minutes ready for, for the next game. I'll work on the opening scene. I know how it's going to start. After that, it goes wherever it goes. And I just keep doing that. So every game, I spend 20 minutes, half an hour prepping for the beginning. And the rest of it, I just I utilize all that experience I have from 20 hours of pregame prep of knowing, okay, there's this kingdom over here, and there's a necromancer over here, and this is the you know the this is how drugs are getting into the city. They're being smuggled by in the fish that are, you know, flayed on the dock, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and they just start interacting with the world. And when they come across something I know, it happens. And if they go in a different way, I'll just mix them up. That's exactly kind of what I was talking about earlier, where I was that person doing these big dungeons and pushing everyone. And that's why when 5th edition came out, my entire DM style changed for the better, I think, yeah. um, because I'm the same way. Uh, one thing I think can help uh, over prepping is understanding, though, that you can't prep for everything. Once you realize that, I think you can you can let other things slide. Well, so one of the first again going back to the reason why our podcast started. One of the first couple episodes that we recorded, Evan talked about his prep, and he and he you know it's textbook what you're talking about. He's like, I wrote you know scripts of exactly word for word what my NPCs would NPCs would say when you talk to them. 
And then we didn't end up talking to some of them. It's like, well, you know, you wasted all that time when you could have been doing something that's relevant to the game. Right. So I 100% agree. And I think that's... And I think you know, that can lead to lead to some people getting upset, too. Yeah, which gives you anger, rage, rage DMs. Like, I fucking planned for nine hours of shit, and you're going to fucking go through it! <laughs> yeah, 100%. And, you know, again, if you're married or you're chained to that... Chained? That pre- that, if you're chained to that prep and they go somewhere else... I think I think there's a there's an involuntary reaction to be like, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna make you go back that way. It may not be everything is on fire, but everything else is gonna be a dead end. You know, you want to go talk to this person, you can't see them right now. They're on a business trip. You want to go talk to this person, they're visiting their sick mother. The only person you can talk to right now is the guy I wanted you to talk to, and that's not great DMing. I would agree. I don't think. You know, I think the best DM rage moment I ever had, and I've shared this on the show before. Where our DM basically planned like this uh, mine area and there's their platforms because it's over a chasm, and I one shot at the mini boss by pushing it off the platform into the abyss. <laughs> <laughs> so when people do spend all that time over prepping, it can lead to, to anger and hate and, and, and rage because other players decide they want to go this way and you want them to go this way, and D and D shouldn't be that. <laughs> what makes D and D separate is that. You can choose to go uh, this way and not give two shits about the 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 NPC with the question mark over their head. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why I love D anD D personally. Um, I, I also like stuff like that when players overcome my challenges with un, unexpected ways. Um, I I remember as a player I got upset one time because uh, the DM all I had was a shitty ass level one sorcerer and we were fighting uh, some elves with packs of wolves right and I had prestidigitation I'm like well I'm gonna take my ration and make it smell like the most juiciest meat that these things can't resist he's like no impact nothing at all not even one of them is distracted by it not no advantage on attack no disadvantage on their attack nothing you're not gonna not gonna give me any sort of benefit for thinking that I can trick this animal into eating something. so um, wasn't part of his plan so it wasn't allowed yep and that's Terrible. Yeah, I agree. And Ryan says, uh, at one point, my DM had a fleet of airships attacking his town, uh, this town, and we were supposed to follow it to the next town, but we messed up his plans and took them all down. <laughs> that reminds me, uh, Luke told me a story about where he dispelled magic from a floating, like, city or fortress or airship, <laughs> and the whole thing just came crashing down. The DM was like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Don't ever put an encounter in the game that you don't, or you're not okay with the players killing. Right. You know, if you plan on the big bad to, you know, jump in, monologue, and then jump through a magical portal, they're going to kill that person. That's right. just how it works, unless you just <laughs> don't let them, which is not fun. So, right. yeah, don't ever let, don't, don't think that's what's going to happen because it's not. Right, right. You know, there's one time in Mutants and Masterminds where, which is a superhero RPG for those of you who don't know. Our uh, DM threw a Chinese sorcerer at us. He, he, he intended to be the first encounter, learn who they are. My ninja character ran up to him, punched him, rolled that 20, and he rolled that 20 on his defense. So he, by for all intents and purposes, one shot the, the big bad right there. Yep. He paused, and uh, the wizard's only shattered because it was a clay statue. Oh, thank God. There's, there's always <laughs> yeah. a big brother or sister. Yep. So if I'm my, my big bad and you take it out in one shot by some pushing them off a ledge, I didn't think you were going to do that. Oh, it just turns out this person was working for someone else. So now you're in the crosshairs because you just pissed off and killed their lieutenant. 
you know, I don't have to tell you that's that wasn't what was happening, but it's what's happening now. Right, right. It is now. <laughs> so there, there is a few things that I wanted to touch on, and it comes back to what I learned from playing fourth edition about overprepping. You don't fucking need maps for everything. You do not. You do not need a map of your city. You do not need a map <laughs> of the the inside of the inn. You do not need a map of every twist, turn, and and alcove in a, in, in a cavern. At least in my experience. Um, I found that I wasted so much. I used to build these just awesome looking terrains. They just looked fucking amazing. And I found that we kind of discussed already that if I would get upset if I, they didn't get used. And so that was when I decided, I was like, man, I don't, I don't need a map for this. In fact, I don't need a map for the dungeon. I just need to know these are the things that can happen in the dungeon and we'll let the dice decide whether they happen, you know, for one, when you guys fought, were trying to interrupt that dragon, uh, trying to become a Dracolich. Um, I had an idea there was going to be a cavern. I know that the, it was going to rumble and shake and create fissures and shit was going to fall. And, okay, give me a couple dice rolls as you guys are walking through. Uh, you see the falling debris. We're going to try to avoid it. You sucked at your rolls. So now they just landed on you or you fell on a fissure. You know, I didn't need to have them moving along a grid to, 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 to do, to have success with that. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I find that so much prep time would get hung up on me doing stuff like that, that I still spend hours prepping. Don't get me wrong, but not nearly <laughs> as much. And draw a map of the counter area you think shit's going to happen instead of everything. But that's just, that's my thoughts on that. I think it's funny yeah. that Credit Academy's DM doesn't like using maps or making a map hack. Well, if no. our any were made of strawberries, we'd have a lot of smoothies. <laughs> Some, people, but a lot, a lot of people like that. There's two different kinds: what theater of the mind and and grid play. Yeah. And you know, sometimes I use a hybrid of both. I remember this one combat that I made that was so intricate I couldn't not use a grid because I made too much shit going on in that one event. <laughs> I, I don't know how you feel about something like that. You know, I don't think you need maps for everything, though. I can say the I don't time. use maps at all. Like See? I there zero, you go. I'm a zero map. But that also dictates that most of my combats will not be overly complex because I won't be able to keep up with it. <laughs> um, so again, but that fits my style of DMing. It fits what my players want. But um, I used to use maps. I, mean, I used maps minis for years. I've been playing about 30 years now. And majority of my time, I did use maps and minis. It's only been the last few years that I've got away from it. And I like it a lot better. It fits my my current outlook. And who knows, maybe in two, three years, I'll go back to using it. And I'll love them when I do. But right now, nope. No maps, no minis, nope. just uh, <laughs> what, what you see in your head. I, I really like the theater of the mind. Yeah, me yeah. too. I think it, I, I think 5th edition specifically lends itself perfectly for it. Uh, couldn't do it in 4th edition. I struggled. You got your power hits in exactly, you know, one square to your right, and one square to your left, and one square, you know, just, that's too much. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have any other... Uh, tips for over prepping i don't over prep so that was actually a pretty hard subject for me to come up with yeah i mean i just I just kind of recap that if you spend a lot of time prepping you still can't be so invested that if they don't do what you think they're going to do that it causes you to either be upset or you force them to go into it you that prep doesn't have to be wasted you can still use all that on a different day mm -hmm. a different encounter a different right. campaign even so don't feel like you have to force people back onto your path because their path is what they need to be on because it's their story. Right. As the, as the DM, you're there to facilitate what happens, not dictate what happens. And at the end of the day, you still make up everything. So it doesn't matter if you made it up two hours before when you were writing it down or if you make it up in two seconds when they go left, you're still the one creating it. It still has the same level of, you know, gravitas as anything else just because you didn't write it down beforehand doesn't matter. Just be comfortable saying, what do you think? 
if they go to a place you didn't know of, ask them, well, what do you see here? What's interesting about this town that I didn't know existed two seconds ago because I didn't know you were going there? Uh, <laughs> what's the first thing you see when you walk into the town? Uh, you know, is there anything interesting that it smells? Like, uh, what, do you, what have you heard about this town? What are the rumors you've heard? And then maybe they're wrong. You know, it can always be a false rumor, but if they're like, oh, I've heard that this is where the Thieves Guild is located. Okay, that sounds like fun. Maybe it is. I didn't know that two seconds ago, but now I got information. Let's go. Let's go hang on this town. See what happens. <laughs> the joke I always say, though, is if they're a famous thieves guild, they're not doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> that's correct. Again, um, that's why it could be a false rumor. Yeah. And I think that's really cool because if the if the players go in with a certain assumption and says, well, I'm going to look around, poke around, find out about the thieves guild, they might run into a shady guy that's all about trying to just stiff them. Yeah, you're going to need to... Uh, I'm one of the contact. These are the things you need to do before you'll, you're allowed in. And turns out he's just yanking your chain trying to get you to do some free work or something, you know? <laughs> um, Welcome, stranger. Uh, Sam says, uh, I also like having a, a map behind the screen to help me uh, describe my thoughts of where the players are and how to describe theater of the mind. Um, what I've found is that if you just write a few descriptions, the map will help, but you can do a lot more with it because you can also add stuff. So if you say that, you know, you've got this, this intricate map showing all these twists and turns. All you have to do is say, um, as you make your way through to this winding cavern and you got falling stalactites and fissures opening up, you twist and you turn and give me a survival check or whatever check you call for. You can say, uh, well, you're able to, uh, you know, witness some, you know, tracks going this way and you end up following them this way. You can just tell them what to expect as they're wandering through the cavern. You don't need to say, uh, well, if you look the ho- uh, down the hallway, it goes to the left, and then when you get down, it goes to the right, and then it splits to say you get to a fork in the road. You know, uh, that's that's my perspective on it anyway. No, I would uh, completely agree with that. And then the, from just from talking about theater of the mind, because I do run it a lot now, and I, I consider myself to be okay at it, maybe pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it definitely requires different muscles. Uh, you know, just because you're good at one doesn't mean you'll be good at the other. Yep. It takes different you know techniques. You have to learn those, but. Uh, I recap the scene before each player and I recap it from their point of view. So I'd be like, okay, Justin, you just saw the ogre pick up Ian and throw him off the cliff. You got two goblins running at you and the bridge behind you is on fire. What do you do? And then when you go, I'll be like, okay, Brandon, (laughs) you just saw Ian get thrown off the cliff. You just saw Justin get stabbed by two ogres. The bridge you're on is on fire. What do you do? And you just keep recapping what's going on. And it, and it really makes it feel immediate. Like it makes it feel like you're actually in it. And you're not like playing chess. And that's what I love about it. Right, right. And the other thing, you gotta let your players ask questions. So if, if, if they say, uh, is there an ogre next to me? Yes. You remember the ogre that was over there? Like, is the bridge on fire? Yes. Is there a rock nearby? Yes. Is there, you know, is there a horse in the stables? I don't know. Maybe. So usually I say yes. If I'm not sure, I'll roll a die. If it's like mm-hmm. higher than 11, I yes. That, if it's yeah. lower than 10, no. And you just keep going. Jokes on that ogre. He can't throw me again. <laughs> can only throw you I'm once. Fine. Um, I think that's probably it. Um, when it comes down to it, uh, I don't be too meticulous, or you're gonna spend way too much time on stuff. Um, personally, but there's nothing wrong with that meticulousness if you've got the time. Kid, and children. if you enjoy it, yes. like if you really like building three day three terrain, then it's not wasted time because you had fun doing it. Yeah. Just don't get mad if they decide to go away exactly. from it. Yeah. I can't remember if in the Adventures League a few months back when I was running a monk character and we were trying to find a stronghold where some doors were holed up because they were basically 
holding tight, weathering a siege, and we found we got to just have a one mountain that we could see them off in the distance. We had to, because those mountains trek through it in the snow and rocks. I'm like, screw that. I'm a monk. I'm using my ring of jumping and my scale and jump from one mountain to the other mountain. <laughs> Jeez, that's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> it was great. So that'll do it for our main topic. I hope that we've added some value, giving you guys some tips. Clearly, uh, Michael is a seasoned uh, DM. So thank you, uh, Michael. You had a lot of input. That's awesome. And I've actually learned a lot just talking to you. So yep. th- that, that's one thing you have to understand as a DM. You can always improve either from your successes and how to make them better or from your or somebody else's mistakes. Um, always yep. write down your mistakes and how you would do it differently because that'll help you in the, in the future. Yeah, I definitely learned the biggest thing for me is to don't overthink it. Just create some durable bullet points. Make sure you know what muscles you want to use. Get the notes ready to go. And boom, go have fun. <laughs> Yep. Uh, so that'll do it for our main topic. Uh, before we move on to our unearthed tips and tricks where we give new and creative ideas for you, we have one more gift to give away. Compliments of Loresmith. What? Each episode, we will draw another lucky subscriber's name, and they will win the best-selling adventure, The Claws of Madness. Compliments of Loresmith. Lawsmith is a small indie team of creative artists who remember exploring the realms together with friends, finding incredible places, and meeting colorful characters along the way. They set out to deliver an experience that sparks those lasting impressions that pushed them to create their first standalone adventure, The Claws of Madness. This best-selling adventure is one that you don't want to miss. Hey, Michael. Yes. Who's our winner? Uh, Ben Morier? I wanted to... I wanted to tell you, Justin, when you were on my show, we did that uh, spell fail thing. We started talking about like bad spells. Uh-huh. Um, I, I ended up putting that on Facebook and Twitter, and both of them have just blown up. People are coming up with some of the craziest and funniest things on bad spells like monochromonic orb and colorless <laughs> monochromatic spray. Monochromatic orb. I mean, there's a <laughs> spray. Isn't it just water? <laughs> I, I guess. And there's like unimproved visibility and. I mean, there's just like so many. So if you haven't ch- seen that yet on Twitter, I will, go check it out. I'll, I'll go check out your uh, post. Yeah, spell fails is the hashtag. You should be able to find everything. Yeah. It, it, and you inspired <laughs> it because that's what you asked me for the 10 things. And I sucked at it really badly. <laughs> so then I started thinking about it. I came up with good ones. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll definitely check that out. Um, so uh, our first Unearthed Tips and Trick is our, ca- our character concept, which is let the gods decide. Um, so I actually really like this. I was watching uh, Batman with uh, uh, Tommy... Uh, who played Two-Face? Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones. And I'm like, man, that would be an awesome character. So here it is. Our character loves to leave many big decisions to the fates. Uh, when posed with an uh, important choice, our character flips a coin to determine the action he is going to take, deciding that fate knows best when it comes to what's in store for him than she does, right? Uh, she was raised to believe that each person has a destiny planned for them by the gods, and as such was raised believing, why Why should she challenge the gods, right? Um, this, to me, is a, a fun and way to bring a lot of chaos to your game. Um, especially if you believe that your god decided that, you're not going to be easily as persuaded by the players, you know? And I'm not talking simple decisions like, well, should we kick the door in or run around back? No, I'm talking like, we've just rescued this this baby, and the family wants it back. <laughs> should we and- keep it? 
Should we keep it? I mean, <laughs> it's got magic powers and it could be useful to us or should we return it? You know, choices like that that can really affect how the game kind of can can <laughs> unfold and can be a real nut shot to your group. What do you think about that, Michael? So I, I would be cautious with that. that. That's something that definitely I would want to come out in session zero to make sure everyone's okay with it. Oh, by the way, I want to drink. Session zero. Session zero. Uh, because you're right. It could add a lot of chaos to the game. And if you're all for it, you think that's awesome, then great. Mm-hmm. But if you have a bunch of players who are going to be like, I don't really want that because that would be annoying, then maybe that's a character concept to use for a different game. Right. I do like the idea of having someone who believes that they're fated, they have a grand destiny, and that they see signs everywhere. It's like, oh, see that red sparrow? Clearly, that must mean that the you know so and so noble house who has a red <laughs> you know shield they they must be the ones we need to go talk to. Uh, you know that could be certainly an interesting thing to do. I'm not a huge fan of flipping the coin. Just mm-hmm. I've played that character where I roll a die. Like you know, if it's evens, we do one, I'll do the other. Right, right. And it was annoying. Any yeah. particular reason why? Just Maybe because... I played it poorly. I don't know, but yeah, it wasn't great for the game I was in. Okay. What do you guys think? Her name should be Harviana Dent. Oh my God, <laughs> Harviana. Uh, you're such a pain sometimes. What do you think, Ian? Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> All the time. Asshole. Darby Hint. I think definitely with the right group, this could be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I like it because I like Chaotic. One of my favorite classes in 4th edition, and uh, I really haven't played it as much in 5th edition because I DM all the time now, but is the, the Chaos Sorcerer, the, the Wild Magic Sorcerer. Right. Where everything is randomized. That's something that I really enjoy because I think um, having a character who can't control her power, in this case, relies on somebody else to make the decisions. Gabe, make sure, I need to borrow your ding, but I love inter-party conflict. Um, not just the podcast, but I love the, the tension that builds from that. And I'm not talking in like a douchey way where it's you're trying to force the other characters to do something you want, um, but creating uh, just an opportunity f- to argue with your char- your heroes because we do get the people that play the loner and they 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 go off and constantly do their do their own thing but how often do you get into a situation where nobody knows what we should do i know what we can do fate says go that way you know <laughs> that that's because at least in my games that's happened numerous times where you get groups that are kind of they're stagnant because you i give them too many choices maybe or i give them too much freedom instead of just you know luring them that direction but oh, <laughs> fishing <laughs> fishing for him yeah. Yeah. Uh, how, how would you feel if you put that fate into the hand of the dm or another player i so would that... to- be totally cool with that because to me it's still putting the hands of the decision in somebody else's and hands a higher power yes and i think that that um I, honestly as a player i like the idea just because i get to flip a coin and get a result from it but even if the dm did it for me like uh for the wild magic surge it'd be meant no different maybe the dm says okay uh, at this point, you're not sure what the best decision is. Here's the two options. We're going to flip a coin, and you're going to let fate decide. Um, either way, the concept of playing a character like that that's got kind of two things going on has accepted somebody else's power. I mean, that's kind of what like clerics and stuff do, right? They've given themselves to somebody else's goals, but it's it doesn't it doesn't change. The mission is always the same. Actually, did you ever read the, read the Wheel of Time? No. There's one character in it who, essentially, his whole thing was, the more random things are, the more things were in his favor. <laughs> so he was, like, really good at gambling as a result. And it does how, like, a fate weaved around him. And in one of the later books, they were trying to uh, navigate their way through a dungeon. We're going to roll for it. If I roll one, two, three, we're going to go left. But you're rolling two dice. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Rolls the dice. What, this clattered. 
one die came up with a one, and the other one fell into a crack. Wow, he actually rolled a one with two six-sided dice. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> um, Matthew Caulfield, I believe. Yep, that's the guy. Oh man, I need yep. to. I need to. I really need to. I hear they're going to make that a uh, like a show, right? So that I mean, they've been saying that for years. Oh, okay. yeah. Um. Well, that'll do it for our character concept. Let the gods decide. Um. Our monster variant is Displacer Packlord. Now, I one thing that I I don't generally buy a lot of like monster um, books. I did buy Toma Beast because the content was so amazing. But most of the time, I like to take existing monsters and alter them by giving them features that players have, features that other monsters have, feats, you know, stupid stuff like that, and reflavor them to fit. Um, a monster that I want to be different. You know, when you run into five kobolds and one, you know, they're all in rusty armor, but one seems to be a little bit bigger and his armor is a little less rusty and he's, you know, wielding a, a, a long, a long sword instead of a scimitar, little things like that. And then giving them like features really lets them stand out. And so with our monster variant, I do that same thing. I, uh, that's where this kind of stems from. So in this one, the monster origin is the displacer based. Um, we've given them a couple, uh, special, uh, abilities though. Uh, one I've, I'm calling out the Howling Rally. The Displacer Beast may use a bonus action to unleash a Howling Roar to bolster the combat resolve of one of its allies. Uh, it chooses a friendly creature you can see, it can see or hear, and that creature gains temporary hit points equal to 1d6 plus 1. Super simple, it's a little bit reinforced, it's actually a, a reflavor of one of the, uh, the Battlemaster, uh, features. Yeah. And then we have the Tentacle Slam. Uh, if the... <laughs> I knew you were going <laughs> to giggle over that. If the pack lord successfully hits a creature with both tentacle attacks, that target must make a uh, succeed a DC 14 strength saving throw or be knocked prone. Now, if you don't know, a tentacle has a 10-foot reach. So when I designed this character, I envisioned him kind of walking and strutting around the outside of combat while his, his minions, uh, the other displacer beasts or whatever minion he's grouped with, um, are engaging the, uh, enemy, or engaging the players or the heroes, and he's cracking them with his tentacle and potentially knocking them down, giving his allies advantage, at the same time reinforcing uh, them with a little bit uh, of temporary HP. Now, what do you think about something like this, uh, Michael? I'm also a huge fan. I call it reskinning for fun and profit. Uh, <laughs> I love to take existing things and make them different. That's and even, awesome. especially if, if you use theater of the mind, you can just the way you describe things. Like you could literally run something exactly as it is in the book, but if mm-hmm. you describe it differently, you might not. You know, if you have players who don't know the books that well, you might get right. away with it. Uh, so the first thing I thought of because I've I've used Placer Beasts a few times. Uh, I do like use them in, in odd situations, but I thought it would be interesting. If the creatures, because the whole thing about the displacer beasts is they're not really where you think they are. Right, you know, right. whole thing. Uh, what if there was some way where either, like if the, the minions are attacking a certain creature, it gets moved closer to the pack lord or the other way around. So like if you go, oh, say, I'm going to attack cool. the big one and you run out there and you swing at it. And next thing you know, you're back in the middle again. So, so like it's, moving, it's moving you around oh, on the battlefield. So cool to its benefit. So like you get the wizard you put next to the place beast because it's going to eat that one. If it's the tanky <laughs> guy, they just keep putting it back in the middle. That is so much cooler than what I came up with. <laughs> um, so a new feature, um, teleporting tentacles. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Everything gets that. You get a teleporting tentacle, you get a teleporting tentacle. It's an Oprah displacer beast. <laughs> oh my god. We'll call it the Harpo. <laughs> Um, so not exactly what I originally had in mind, but that is definitely awesome. Um, and I will be adding that feature to this. 
Um, because I think that's awesome. It just relocates them within a couple squares, you know? Yeah. Uh, or a couple feet or whatever metric you're using for your game. Push the slides, whatever. <laughs> yeah, push slide, whatever, yeah. But teleporting is way cooler. Cause, yeah. Because yeah. really, oh man, how much would that piss off the character as the, as the warrior begins to charge and he's like, how did I, I thought I was within range. No, he's Does back the, here. Displacer, uh, the idea you're putting out, does it push them or does it teleport them back? I would say teleport because that's way cooler. <laughs> that would suck. If it, if it's the tank, is like instead of telling him, teleporting him back to the middle of the battlefield, he teleports him to the room next door that's got a locked door. Yeah, but I think uh, technically the way the displacer beast is, that's just an illusion that makes them look like they're a few feet off of where they are. So if I go to stab you in the head, I might completely miss because your head's not really there. Um, it's very it's very cool monster. Uh, I think we did a we did a mon- um, magic item that was like a maul that had like the tenor it was made from like the the tentacle of a displacer beast and it like shifted when you were fighting and it's weird but it's really cool and i really like it um i there wasn't i needed when i when i built this monster i i needed something to group with the displacer bees because they weren't unless i could have just gave more but i like to i like to always have like a mini boss or or something that really just kind of stands out and this is an easy way for me to do that um him howling and regenerating them definitely can piss some people off and it's not very much i mean 1d6 plus one i think they have like what 60 hit points so it's not it's not game changing this doesn't really increase the difficulty level that much it just adds a whole new uh level uh of engagement to the the combat and i'm stealing the teleporting tentacle thing so i got another one for you (laughs) i just thought of this so the the, basically the the displacer beast looks like a panther that happens to have two tentacles like it's like the laziest design on any monster it does have six legs though oh i I forgot that so what if we change up the the lore and say that it's actually the tentacles are sort of what's controlling everything and so in certain situations if a tentacle gets uh severed it can seek out a new host and there's oh. a different creature that has the displacer tentacle on it that's like that, venom shit like it's a parasite yeah. like a symbiote symbiote is symbiote 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 whatever tomato tomato that's awesome um so uh encounter of the podcast there's a bonus one freaking <laughs> sent- sentient tentacles nice. oh man that sounds awesome can you just how would you feel if you just ran into an orc that had these giant displacer beast tentacles hanging right. out of him as he's stomping towards you guys uh, and they cut it off and it just starts <laughs> towards you and you're like oh god like goes inside your throat to take you over oh that's a little too much that's uh, just straight up anti-grade <laughs> We went to the wrong field there. I was saying the fan, but okay. (laughs) Whatever. Um, So those are awesome ideas, and they're better than mine, so thanks for that, Michael. (laughs) That's what I'm here for. (laughs) Um, That'll do it for our monster variant. Uh, Next up, we have our encounter of the podcast. This comes from patron Gabe Kleinart. He's dubbed it Insert Coin. The party is traveling through a dungeon where a door that they may need to pass through is blocked by a strange arcane device. The device is a giant slab of stone with a square metal... Oh, I forgot. I remember. I, for, I put this up here. I forgot where it was going. Now I remember. Uh, the device is a giant slab of stone with a square metal plate mounted on the sho- uh, at shoulder level and a lever sticking out below the plate. Below the lever is a small slot, roughly the size of a coin. Gold, platinum, your choice. To get past the device... The party member must insert an appropriate coin into the slot. The metal plate begins to glow, and so does the party member. Suddenly, they vanish from the dungeon. To them, they find themselves in a giant glowing maze, where tiny orbs of light are floating in midair in every hallway. And... 
as they explore the maze, giant spectral figures begin to show up and chase them around every hall, never stopping until the player has collected each and every orb of the light. Oh my god! Maze. <laughs> and to the rest yes, of the, to the rest of the party, however, they see their ally disappear, only to uh, appear on a metal plate which begins to glow in the representation of the maze. The player in the maze cannot see or hear any of his allies or what they say or do. If the player in the maze gets caught by one of the chasing ghosts, they are, they are whisked away and put into stasis until the challenge is overcome. Meanwhile, another party member can insert a coin, but then they will get whisked away into the maze and must pick up where the other player left off. Once all the orbs of light are collected, the device disappears and all party members who are trapped inside appear back in the dungeon unharmed, possibly including uh, adventurers who attempted the maze before they got there. What the fuck, game? Pac-Man, <laughs> right? How high were you when you came up with this? Well, well, uh, well he did just build an arcade, arcade cabinet a while ago. Just probably playing a lot of this. What do you think about this, Michael? I really like that. I think it's really cool. Um, the, the only thing that I would probably su- maybe suggest is... Because I think it's, I think it would be better if there's that aha moment later. Mm-hmm. So rather than having the glowing balls in midair, which I think kind of gives it away, maybe as they move, the walls light up or something. Uh-huh. So like they're all dark, and you take a step, that one lights up. You take a step, that one lights up. Just enough so that it's not totally obvious what you're doing until maybe you get to the point where you're like, oh, son of a bitch, we're playing Pac-Man. <laughs> <laughs> it really is ingenious. Oh, and it's, yeah, it's it's good, Gabe. Yeah, good he job. does he does a great job. The last one he sent us, I really love too. And I can't wait to use his tiny adventures where you like shrink yourselves and you're running across like lab tables and shit. It's or across even like yeah, an open was, open book. That was a good idea. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Um, so I really like this idea. I I think that I think Mike Michael's right that if you can push that aha moment farther back, like son of a bitch, if I would have known that, I would have gotten it sooner type of thing um i the only concern that i would have is if somebody fails how are you going to keep them engaged i don't know i haven't run this this idea so i don't know how long it would take but if your player got stuck away how would they be remained engaged in the game other than maybe the curiosity of listening to the other uh the other players you know what i mean and Ooh. what happens if everyone gets captured? Like, what's the fail safe if everyone sucks at this and then you got the whole party killed by ghosts? Right. Though I do think it'd be cool if uh, you do get captured and then there's other people that are locked in there waiting, waiting for you. Oh, you suck too, huh? What'd you say? So I'd say if everyone fails, they get zapped back to the beginning. But make it a, a hook. There's a treasure that if you if you win, you get it, and if you don't, then you, or it sends them out bad. of the dungeon. There's something like that. Make them start back over completely. Reset but the whole dungeon. Have, if they're in stasis, so about, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, if they're in stasis, give them control of one of the spirits. Oh. They chase down their own friends. Ah, that's horribly <laughs> genius. <laughs> That'd be fun. So, just a, a twist on a little bit is is if you try to remove the aha factor and they know what's going on, maybe there is someone that's already trapped in there they need to talk to. Mm-hmm. So they go there specifically to get captured to talk to them, Ooh. and then the person's like, "Well, I'll tell you the secret way to get into the vault of blah blah blah, but you got to get me out of here." Oh, rather I like than that. just you know making that make that's the quest. That's cool. I like that. This is a really cool encounter, and I would love to run it. So I can't wait to make it a. I feel like there's gonna be no one page like Galaga or something like that. Joust. Or a giant Tetris. <laughs> <laughs> 
blind piece. Oh. This giant L-shaped brick comes crashing down atop you. <laughs> um, so that'll do it for our encounter on the podcast. Insert coin. Thank you, Gabe, for your submission. Yeah. And then you see, just see some giant stone figure in the background just declaring, square, T-block. Lime piece. <laughs> like Halo? Like in Halo where the NPC thing, uh, the NPC guy just talks? Actually, I was just referencing when you the, respawn. Uh, I was actually referencing the uh, college humor video, Tetris God. Tetris God? I'm Tetris not. God. My wife is a Tetris God. She kicks my ass every time we play on the cabinet. Pisses me off. I can't beat her. Anyway. So that'll do it for our encounter of the podcast. Our magic of item of the podcast comes from Stephen Kern. Now, this guy actually has never played D&D. He actually started listening to our podcast and now wants to play D&D. Awesome. Um, so that's <laughs> very uh, interesting. So uh, Ryan says, uh, I may have missed something. Would the feature of Wanderer feature help with this? Yeah. Oh, maybe. That's a background feature, right? Is that what that is? Well, I think you definitely could include some sort of skills to help your, your background skills to kind of help with stuff like that. That'd be cool. Yeah. So this magic item is called the Cerebral, Cere- cerebral Scarab Circlet. The Silver and Ebony Circlet. Sir, I, why can't I say circlet? This Silver and Ebony Circlet has an ebony statue on it that is carved in the likeness of a scarab beetle. You can use an action to speak the command word. The scarab then crawls onto a creature within five feet of you. The statuette uh, chatters and clicks to life. Uh, the creature then must make a succeed a DC 14 strength saving throw, strength saving throw, or the scarab bores partially into the creature's skull, assuming it has one, for 1d4 piercing damage. Once attached, the creature must succeed a DC 15 intelligence saving throw. On a failed saving throw, the target creates a telepathic link between itself and the wearer of the circlet. The link persists as long as the creatures are on the same plane of existence. Until the scarab is removed, the wearer of the circlet and the target can instantaneously share words, images, sounds, and other sensory images with one another through the link. The wearer can control the flow of information while the target cannot. If the statuette is removed from the skull by force, it self-destructs, <laughs> casting fireball centered on the target creature. If this uh, damage, if this damage kills the creature, it had, its head explodes. <laughs> that's harsh. <laughs> that is really, really harsh. Jeez, Steven, that's awesome. <laughs> um, so this is interesting because early on, it's very dangerous to have on you. But I think at higher levels. They'd be willing to remove it and just take the blow, take the blast. High levels, it's just a fireball. But they might not know either. Is it something that they're aware of? Um, the inst- the fact that if a villain gets this on you, it is totally aware of all the the, the hero's uh, actions. That can totally make for an interesting campaign uh, adventure. Yeah, I think they would know because if it's they got that link between them. Then maybe that information the, is shared. The target would probably share that information. Be like, okay, so just an image removed, of their head exploding. If this gets removed, I'm screwed, and I can't yeah. tell anybody to not remove it either. <laughs> Let me show you this Cliff movie scanners. <laughs> what do you think, Michael? I, I really like that. I think it's really cool. Uh, if I were going to use that in the game, I would probably use it on an NPC, though. I yep. don't think I, this is something I would attack the PC with, but a, a beloved NPC Ooh. would start acting weird, or maybe they're making plans in the, what they think is a safe location, and then somehow the big bad knows exactly what they're going to do, so they think they have a mole. So then, you know, so that you have a, a mystery that builds around it. That's cool. And I also think that if the head explodes, it destroys the device, too. Like, Ooh, I think if that one. happens. It shouldn't be able to survive and then be used again. One so the use. person who uses it doesn't really want that to happen either. Right. 
they wanted to get it back when the mission or job or everything is over. I, I definitely agree with you. Um, I personally am a dick and would put it on a player, but that's just me. <laughs> um, but I also uh, would make sure they were fully aware of what would happen. So I think it would be interesting for them as a group to try to figure out how to work together without giving away the information that they know to whoever the big bad is. Or maybe it's not a big bad. Maybe it's a deal that they come across. Hey, uh, the, we're, we're contracting this deal. This is going on you to make sure I'm aware of what's going on and that you don't stiff me. So I can see it used for something like that as well, not just for stealing information or tracking the, 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 what the players know, but also, um, from a more, uh, mischievous kind of standpoint. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? <laughs> I was thinking of, uh, fourth edition minions. Because they always have one HP. Well, yeah, that's kind of what uh, right Michael was talking yeah. about. Um, having his, you know, you die by one hit, <laughs> which I've done there. I love fudging HP, so but I also yeah, make well, things bigger but too. You could have the 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 one PC that's like, you know what, it's gonna suck for me, but I can take out somebody, like you know, <laughs> it basically it's like a suicide bomb. Kamikaze. You know? Yeah, you just like okay, and then you just run in where you don't want to be and uh, let that blow up. What if they did that to the guy that put it on him? Exactly. Oh <laughs> man, that would be a sucky way to go. <laughs> of course, they would probably know then too, right? They would know what that person's planning, right? I don't know. I think it's really interesting. I definitely like the idea of putting it on an NPC, especially if, like you said, if it's somebody that they care about deeply, where they're trying to figure out how to remove this without killing this person, but also as they're trying to figure it out, they relate. It is the bad guy figuring, listening. Right. listening and then you kind in. of have like an Ocean's Thirteen situation where they could use it to feed false information. Like once Ooh. they realize what's happening. You know, like, like we'll, we'll let them see what we want them to see, and then that will allow us to get the upper hand on the BBEG, you know, instead of the other way around. That's very cool. Ooh. I got to watch Ocean's 13 because I've only seen 11 and 12. I, I think it's 13 when I do that. There, it, it, it's actually not very good, but at the end, you realize <laughs> that the whole time that everything they did was just an act for uh, the person that was, that was watching because they knew they were being watched. Oh, that's awesome. I'll have to check that out. Mm -hmm. um, so that is our uh, magic item of the podcast, the Cerebral Scarab Circlet. So thank you, Stephen, for your submission. Um, our Dungeon Master tip of the podcast is give every location an interesting quirk. Now, as somebody who makes up shit on the fly, that is the best way to have my players remember that location. Um, it could be something as stupid as uh, a bell that rings every day at noon while they're there. It's stupid, but they're going to remember that stupid bell going off because I'm going out of my way to say you hear the bell. It's noon, whatever. You know what I mean? Or the, the, the port town has an enormous statue of a local hero fending off a monstrous fish. Is that important to the story? Maybe the person that's in your group that loves lore is going to start asking about that, which makes it then become important. And I can use that to pull out uh, questions about the, the, the area from the players and to help flush it out without actually having to do it all in advance. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. What do you think about that, Michael? Totally agree. Uh, I said something similar earlier. The only thing I would say is if, if you have to make something on the fly, don't be afraid to ask the players. Hey, what, what's unique about this place? What's the first thing you notice when you walk into town? And <laughs> let them create something that you then figure out why it's that way. That right. can be a fun way to kind of keeps being DMing fun too, because you also get to be creative on the fly, not just plan everything in advance. Right. And little, little tidbits like that actually are what can make each area feel unique, not only to you, but to the players as well. 
And that, to me, is what makes locations memorable. I can tell you all day up and down about, you know, this big giant obsidian stone in the in, in the center and give you all this detail. But if you don't care about it, it's not going to matter. If I just say there's a giant obsidian stone in the center, if you care, you'll ask me about it. Then we'll worry about all the nitty gritty after that fact. And the fact that you 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 like to take the, the player's uh, ideas into uh, account and, and, and through that really uh, helps as well. I've done things like that uh, similar when they go into like a, a merchant shop. I get tired of coming up with different uniquenesses of merchant shops. Instead, it's just easy. Brandon, you walk into uh, the merchant shop to what buy are, some weapons. What are you buying? What does the guy look like? What is his, what is he what does he look like? Scruffy. Scruffy? What is he human? <laughs> what what race is he? You a know? scruffy human with an eye patch. Well, there he is. We got a scruffy human with an eye patch. And a glowing sword above, this, above above him hanging on the wall. See? Boom. Interesting unique. So um I really think that you don't have to flush every single thing out. Let the like Mike like Michael said, uh let your players do that. Or do it on the fly. Worry about it when it becomes important. But at least having one unique thing when they enter a town makes every town different. You don't need 20 different descriptions of different inns, of different blacksmiths, of different, you know, stores. You just need one and then let them fill in the rest. So that'll do it for our Dungeon Master tip of the podcast. Um, and our player tip of the podcast is... Don't be a dick! You can avoid dickitude by knowing the nature of the black market and the value of the items there. So uh, I had one player who, and we've talked about this as a character concept called the collector, somebody who likes to just collect shit, whatever it is, and then try to wait to sell it for value. I think it started once with a, like a eye from a Gorgon or something, you know, something stupid like that. But you have all these creatures that have very unique things like... I don't know if you know, but a Displacer Beast eyes actually glow in awful malevolence even when they die. Did you know that? I did not, but I know their tentacles might be sentient. <laughs> um, so it's little things. <laughs> That's good. I like that. There's little things like that that they can have some sort of value outside of the game. So as a player, think about stuff like that when you when you run into a big monster. You know, everyone knows that the purple worms got poison in them, right? They've got these uh, fangs that can turn into uh, a deadly poison, you know, that drips and, you know, and collect it with your your what skill, your poisoner's kit or whatever, but... Um, and then you prick yourself. <laughs> but aside from those things that you already know, every time you run into a monster, don't be afraid to say, well, I wonder if this manticore's tentacle is going to be worth anything, or this... this I'm going to start pocketing that stuff, because that makes for interesting character development. Actually, yeah, one of my characters did that. On yes. a, was it a lizard or a snake creature that turned people into stone? I can't remember what kind of a monster it is. It's in Harry Potter, too. A basilisk? Yes. A basilisk, yeah. Oh, what did I say? Gorgon? It was a basilisk, uh, not a Gorgon. Same thing. Yeah, I were you it. the guy that did? It? I don't remember. It was so I, long. Ago. I ripped its eye out, and I wanted to know if the <laughs> it still works. If, if, if it still works, so I kind of like looked at it, looked away. And he said, "In that time period, when you looked at it, looked away, your leg turned to stone or something. <laughs> something in it's your like, pants got hard." Okay, it still works, so I put it away, and I think I used it in a later fight. Yeah, instead of selling it. Now, there's nothing in the book I think that says that, but that was that's kind of where that stems from. Yeah. What do you what do you what do you think about something not like Monster this Hunter. as a not Monster Hunter? <laughs> well, the, actually, the only thing that came to mind is in one of our current games, we have a, a strip club that's called the Winking Gorgon, and the, the catchphrase is "Come get rock hard." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that is awesome! I want to make that T-shirt, but we haven't done it yet. That's you, you need you need to do that. That's what I was giggling yeah. about that last thing about the towns. It's like, hey, what's different about this town? There's hookers everywhere. <laughs> That's every town. The winking gorgon. 
will make you rock hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious. Um, yeah. so yeah, um, what the f- where was I going with this? Uh, <laughs> sorry, I derailed. No, it, oh, it's sorry. fantastic. Talk about selling um, as stuff. a player though, um, we get so hung up on the value of gold and stuff like that that there's. The, the creatures that you run into, not everyone runs into, so there's always could be a value to it. You know, whether it's the uh, using the carrion crawler to gather some skin samples to make a potion uh, to, to poison people, um, or the gorgon eye to make potions of petrification. You know, think about that stuff as a player when you fight a monster. What's unique about it, and can I make money on it? Yeah. Yep. Anything? You guys got anything to add I, to the conversation not, at all? Not, not that, but I do got a story for uh, for Michael, though. Maybe he wants to go. It's like 15 minutes after his time we're supposed to end. Actually, makes I'm me... good. I'm good. It's a quick story. Actually, I'm pretty sure I told you this one. It's it's funny. What were you going to say? Actually, <laughs> actually makes me think of that meme where it's like a, a clip from Smog from the second Hobbit movie where it's like, my armor comes from the steel that curls my skin. That you like the uh, character from Monster Hunter? My armor is your mother. <laughs> Funny. So that is our player tip of the podcast. Don't be a dick, and you can avoid dickitude by learning the nature of the black market value of items. All right, so that does it for our main topic, or that does it for our show today. Before we close out, we have one more gift to give away. Compliments of Jeff Stevens. It's been a long few days of travel, and the adventurers are tired of eating rations and sleeping on the ground. The road opens to a small town with an inviting tavern. The smells of grilling meat and ale fill their nostrils, and the sound of laughter and music float out the tavern's door. Unlucky for the adventurers, they've stumbled upon Dragon's Breath Tavern. What starts out as a pleasant evening of food, drink, and entertainment soon evolves into an adventure that takes the party into and under Dragon's Breath Tavern. The adventure includes roleplay, exploration, combat, and a dice game called Demon Dice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Michael, who's our winner today? Uh, it is poem, Chris Seeley. When it comes crashing down and it hurts inside. Well, you gotta take a stand, it don't Sorry, am I in your personal space? Congratulations, Chris Seeley. If you enjoy the adventure, please head on over to DM's Guild and leave Jeff a review and let him know what you thought. So that does it for our show today. Uh, Michael, we want to thank you so much for not only being on the show, but dealing with all our bullshit as we got ready. Happy to be here. Appreciate you having me on. I appreciate that you were on our show a couple weeks ago and hope people will check that out as well. So thank yep. you for having me. Do you want to give your RPG Academy one more plug? Uh, absolutely. If anyone's, you know, if you like this show, I would say that our faculty meeting episodes and our detention episodes are fairly similar to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, obviously it's different people, different personalities, but if this is the type of thing you like, then I probably would suggest you take those, take a look at those. So you can search the RPG Academy anywhere. If you find something, it's us. If you don't find something, we're just not there yet. But, you know, <laughs> iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, Google, all that stuff, the RPG Academy. Dot com And then if you, again, a catacomb is coming up in less than two weeks. If you're going to be in Dayton in November or are willing to travel to Dayton, Ohio in November uh, for the best little con with the worst name, uh, catacomb.com. <laughs> well, is there a story behind catacomb? Yes. Uh, well, one, anytime I tell someone who's never heard of it, they I literally get this all the time. Like you, you misspelled arcade. 
it's not arcade con. It's not video games. It's Academicon because it's based on our name, Academy uh-huh. and Convention. So it's a it's a terrible name, but we've used it so long, and I <laughs> it's point of pride. I'm just gonna stick with it now. But yes, <laughs> I get that a lot. That's a terrible name, yeah. But it's a good con, so deal with it. Very very cool. Please join us on our next episode where we hear feedback from you, our heroes. We will be discussing flying and underwater combat mm. with Gabe from Interparty Conflict. Uh, so I'm super excited for that. I've been running multiple underwater and, and uh, flying combat games to get the best understanding of this that I can. Um, and I found that it's fun as shit. And that's why our adventure we're going to run is going to be uh, on a boat. It's going to start there, but it's going to end underwater adventure. So I'm super excited for that. Um, so, oh, that means I gotta make an underwater map too. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Fuck maps. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you have any feedback or other tips and tricks you'd like us to discuss, please send them to us. You can email them to us at critacademy at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook at Crit Academy. We hope you've enjoyed your experience here at Crit Academy. If you did, you can help others find the show by leaving a hopefully five star review on iTunes or your platform of choice. Or just send us a message telling us how much you enjoy the show. Also, be sure to give us a like and a share. Yes. Um, we're on iTunes, or we're on uh, YouTube now, so go subscribe to our page. It's just the audio, but I just want more subscribers. <laughs> go to subscribe. You can find us on YouTube now. Uh, so do that. Yes. Uh, go to YouTube. <laughs> get us paid. Yeah. Money, bitches. Make sure to subscribe to our show at CritAcademy.com so we can help you on your future adventures as well as a chance to win cool prizes each and every week. You will also find links to our fellowship members there as well. Yes. If you don't know, we run our fellowship of the web ring called Crit Nation. It's a group of like-minded content creators, podcasts, um, bloggers. Game Master Stash is a big Facebook group where they just deliver new content. Um, check out Interparty Conflict. You know, Gabe over there is awesome. We'll have him on the show next week. He, he basically, his first segment, his entire show is a lot like our Let's Talk About Blank segment where we answer questions and stuff like that, which is awesome. Him and Jeff do a great job. We have... Uh, um, D&D Character Lab, where they create new, fully detailed characters and then argue their validity in-game against each other, which is awesome. Um, so check them out. We really enjoy... Uh, there's a lot of good content over there, so head on over to critnation.com and check out our group. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian. I'm your co-host, Decker Kane. And I'm your guest, Michael. Thanks for listening. Keep your blades sharp and your spells prepared, heroes. That was perfect. That was good. That was better than me. I just might put that in in every single one. <laughs> Thank you for joining us um, and your infinite patience. I hope that you had a good time. I love listening yeah. to you talk. Um, I got kind of a man crush on your voice. I feel like this disembodiment. <laughs> Most people awesome. don't. Uh, well, the accent. Yeah, who, who cares what they think? 